millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Welcome to the Fighting on Film podcast, the podcast all about classic and obscure war movies, from the Normandy landings to the days of chivalry and swords. If it's been captured on film, we're going to try and cover it. I'm Robbie of RM Military History. I'm Matthew Moss of Historical Firearms and the Armourer's Bench. Hello, welcome back to the FOF Pod. Now today we're joined by British filmmaker Toby Kearton, who's an award-winning director, screenwriter and producer. He's best known for his independent short film Dissonance in 2018 and the short war films The Little Picture in 2018 and The Dust Child. Toby, welcome to the show. It's a pleasure to have you with us. Thank you for having me. First off, I mean, probably we should start. How did you get into the industry? What inspired you to become a filmmaker? I think what it comes down to is when you watch films as a kid, you see the actors on the screen. You don't know what any other department does. All you see is the actors. So being introduced to films, I wasn't really into sport when I was young. So I kind of gravitated towards films. And you obviously see the actors in there and you want to be the actor, right? And then when you realize the great thing about the films, this this will show my age and I'm, I'm young, I'm sorry. Uh, <laughs> don't mean to make you guys feel old. But um, in the early 2000s, they were, they were really great in doing a great deal of DVD extras. And uh, they don't, you don't really see that anymore now. Now it's just talking heads. But back in the day, you had like hours of these great documentaries, like Pirates of the Caribbean did them and Lord of the Rings did them. And you, you had a really personal, in-depth, intimate access into the makings of those films. Yeah. And I remember watching those as a very, very young child, thinking, my God, that's someone's job. Someone gets paid to do that. It's someone's job yeah. to kind of put all this stuff together, like a conductor, if you like. And I thought, I want to do that. So ever since then, I've really been actively involved in trying to make that happen. Um, and I, I, every day you have a bad day, I, I always say, you know, I'm very lucky to know what I wanted to do from a very early age. It's just about getting there, you know? Yeah. hundred percent. Yeah. So was there a moment where you, you know, you were like, okay, so I want to do war. I want to explore the war genre. It was, is that something that you, that was there from an early, an early age as well? 
Well, I've always loved my history. I mean, history and film are my two favorite kind of entities um, and combining them seemed like an obvious thing to do. Um, the reason why I like exploring uh, war is in particular, dramatically it offers the best uh, kind of uh, approach than any of the other genres because you're literally dealing with life and death. Mm. And when it comes to making short films as well, I think what film do, what Wolf does so well is it offers dramatically, I think, the best out of all the genres in terms of you're dealing with life and death. So the stakes are higher than any other genre. Mm. And also when, it, when you come from a short film, they always say, well, you can never you can never see an arc of a character in a short film. And they are right apart from war, because you can. War is a catalyst for moral confliction and emotional change. So that's why I like to explore that genre personally, because you are able to use that, you know, war in the background to really change and shape the way people think. And all great stories are a measure of change, either for the good or for the bad. Yeah. So, and again, dealing with morals and weighing up your morals and as an audience member watching that and thinking, what would I do if I were there? You know, I've got a bad option or a worse option. What do I choose? And that's the kind of, that's they're the kind of elements I love to explore. I was going to ask um, off the back of, the, of what you were saying about behind the scenes and documentary making, but obviously a lot of your work has been um, traditional filmmaking in that it's uh, telling a narrative story. Is is documentary making something you're also interested in, or is that just something that feeds into that making of narrative pieces? Well, I think that's a good question. I think what behind the scenes does so well is it gives you an insight into the craft and what it takes to make a film. And it's very rare you get to see now great filmmakers communicate with actors, communicate with crew. Um, and those behind the scenes kind of featurettes are so wonderful because they really give you an insight onto how things are done mm -hmm. um, and how things can be uh, avoided or how things can be done differently to what people are doing. But um, I personally like to explore stories and narrative. Um, would I, in the future, like to do a documentary? Absolutely. I think um, I love historical documentary for sure. Um, I watch them a great deal. Sometimes when I'm not in the mood to, to embark on a you know two and a half hour film, I watch a documentary because they're very insightful, um, <laughs> particularly on very disturbing subject matters like the Third Reich. They're very interesting to me. I find them very interesting. Um, but yeah, no, there's lots of, um, would I like to do that? Absolutely, I would. But I would only do it if I could find something that was very unique. If there was a very different perspective I could explore, I'd like to do it like that, rather than do something similar to something that someone has done, which is probably very good. Um, so yeah, I like to explore different perspectives. Again, that's why I like to tell these particular stories. I try and find a way to tell it differently or tell something that's already been told, but from a, either from a different perspective or from a kind of from a different angle. Yeah, no, I got, I got that from your, from the dust child. I, I really liked how that was poised. You, you, you're not expecting, I mean, spoiler for anyone who hasn't seen it, please go and check out Toby Shortsby's YouTube channel because they are very, very well, well made. Um, but spoiler alert for the dust child, as we uh, talk, you're not expecting the girl to pull the pin of that grenade at the end. And I like how you subverted that. I like how you did the twist there. You know, I thought, you know, another filmmaker would have had them save her, but you, you're showing that, you know, there were, there were child, young Viet Cong uh, fighters. I just liked how you did that. So what, what inspired you to go to do that? 
you know subvert that expectation that I had at least I think it comes down to subverting tropes and uh there's no happy ending in war. You can't tell, say that war's happy, a happy ending because uh, it's unjustified. And every film that I, I've embarked on has been anti-war, okay? And I think all good, the great films are. I can only think of one pro-war film, uh, which is probably The Green Berets, which is, you know, you better fight, <laughs> fellas. Yeah. 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 Fighting and killing is good. You should do it, right? Yeah. Um, every film that dealt with the genre, either it be World War One, World War Two, Vietnam, they've always been anti-war. It's always been about the horrors of war, either the horrors of war or why war is futile. I think the horrors of war has been done so, so well. That's something that mm. I don't really want to kind of dive into because it's been done so well. My favorite one being Come and See, which is a 1985 mm. Russian film, which everyone should see, because that for me is the, the best depiction of the horrors of war. Um, but I like to always explore the futility. And at the beginning of The Dust Child, there's a quote, which kind of is the kind of golden thread through all my work, which is no good deed goes unpunished, but no good deed goes unpunished in war, because even an act of compassion in war can't be justified because you're still within the, the remit of, of conflict. Mm -hmm. mm. So there's no justification. We think something good came from it until we realize what happens at the end. You know? yeah. Uh, yeah. And it's, just, it's, it's nice to leave an audience with, uh, their thoughts of would I have done the same thing well if I left her I would have been killed and if I saved her, I would have been killed uh okay where does that leave me so that I like to offer that perspective but yeah I there's a difference between a happy ending and an optimistic ending in the work that I do I don't really like happy endings um because we don't live in that time anymore we don't you just go look outside we don't live in that world anymore I'm afraid so um, if I want to put an ending that makes you think, I normally, especially in war, there's no happy endings. Um, the film that I'm recently embarking on that I'm in post-production of, there's a happy ending within the confines of the film. It's optimistic. Sure. But as an audience, with the, the knowledge that we have of what's to come in the future, we know for a fact that that ending is not good. And that's a, a, an interesting thing that cinema offers. Right. Mm. Um, and that's another reason why I like to explore the genre of war, because we just don't learn. And people will have to keep telling these stories because we're still fighting now. And we think that going to war and, you know, killing one another is is justified. Mm. It's worth it. That's so, one, of the, one of the things that the genre has in its, unfortunately, has in its back pocket, that there's always going to be conflict. And there's always going to be people that will, are going to want to retell and put their stamp on conflicts from film. And I think that's why we, we enjoy seeing how this genre develops and about what you think Matt, about that. No, I agree. I think there's always going to be room for that narrative aspect of showing what conflict can make humans do. Mm. And that's, that's what makes the war movie genre so uh, broad and powerful because there's so much you can do within the context of a conflict. And I, I just taking like the little picture that's just a couple of guys in one in a house but so much is said in that short 10 minutes it's it's quite impressive what's interesting about the idea of war is that films especially they, they they're tailored towards the times so when you come out of world war ii and you see the films that are being made 1945 1946 um compared to the films that were made in the 60s compared to films that were made now even right now, I mean, I'm sure there'll be a whole plateau of films about war coming off what's happening now and uh, how they're redefined when you look at a film. 
Mm. I mean, it's just quite funny. Like, all, I, I love James Bond and, and a lot of the Bond movies, the villains are always the Russians, right? And yeah. coming, going to the Cold War, even coming out of the Cold War. And now you watch those films and with, with the knowledge that we have now about what's going on in contemporary times and it kind of creates new ideas. And depending on where we are in history, the films are kind of recontextualized, especially mm. war films. Mm. You know, and, that, and that's a, a fresh glut of Cold War movies now. That absolutely, the enemy. absolutely, that's absolutely. But it's, it's going full circle. The the Russians will be yeah. the enemy again in oh, five yeah. years' time. Again, yeah, it's it's crazy. It really yeah. is. Yeah, but they're always recontextualized, and that's very interesting. I can't think of a genre other than war that kind of does that as effectively because it's probably also the oldest genre of film other than the Western. Yeah, it's probably, probably is. you know, killing, you know, with guns, mm. uh, man versus man, mentality I mean, versus a, mentality. I mean, we always say there's a British war war film about the Boer War that was maybe like 18, was it 1898, Matt, or something? Yeah, it's really Silent early. film, really, yeah. really early. Yeah. Surprisingly ambitious as well. Yeah, it's quite, yeah, it's quite good. We'll have to review it. Um, we will, so, actually, we really should. Yeah, so <laughs> coming off of that, I mean... This is more of a production type question, but what are the most challenging aspects of, of making a, a war short, a, a film? What are the challenges there? Well, there's two elements. There's obviously the business side of things and there's the creative side of things. So from the business perspective, films about history cost money and they're more expensive than contemporary film. Uh, so your budget doubles, all right, which isn't very attractive to financiers. But you have to convince them that it can only be told this way. And uh, it is worth it because not a lot of people do them. They just don't. I mean, a lot of people uh, my age don't really find it interesting. They find it a very dusty kind of, you know, has been type of thing. Like, oh, it's, you know, no one makes those type of films anymore. And they don't. They really don't. So I love them. I think there's an audience for them and there's an audience for the things that I would like to say. So. I find it very important to do that. And, and again, it's all, always about, are you interested about telling that story? And if you are, tell it. And you've got to be very interested about it. You've got to be as interested on day one than you are on day 205, because otherwise it's just not worth your time because yeah. it takes up your life. But to go back to your question, sorry, to go back to your question in terms of the challenges, yeah, it's expensive. So you have to convince these guys who are you know putting the money on the table why it needs to be told. So that's a very challenging thing from the beginning. And then when it comes down to the world you need to construct, obviously it takes a great deal of research. I love research. I adore research. And don't get me wrong, don't let history get in the way of a good story, you know? Don't let that happen. Mel Gibson could only tell Braveheart if they wore kilts. I'm sure it wouldn't have been a financed film if everyone ran around naked, painted blue, uh, because he wouldn't <laughs> have got he would have, wouldn't have got his ratings. So you have to take license. Don't let facts get in the way of a good story. However, saying that, if you, there's no excuse not to do the research and not to get the facts right. So if he's holding a um, AK-47 uh, in a, a film about the Boer War, there's going to be there's going to be problems, um, and there's no excuses to make those mistakes because we have such sure. a wealth of such a wealth of um, resources today. To, to to make those things and, and there's no harm in getting someone an advisor or going to a museum like for the film i recently did i had a kind of debate over what kind of boots um the british soldier wore at that time 
and also were, were German soldiers at the end of the First World War wear putties or boots because there was a leather shortage. I was a bit, you know, I wanted to know. Yeah, and again, yeah. you have you you have to be a stickler for detail because there mm. is going to be someone watching that thing like that ain't right, and it will take them out. Yeah, of the awesome. film, all right. Uh, uh, so us and our listeners, yeah, <laughs> right, yeah, right. So go to the Imperial War Museum. It's free. It's down the street, and 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 look. And I found my my answers from just going there. So there's no mm. excuses. So I'm a stickler. I'm the kind of person I think as you and the listeners are um, that would see something and be like, that's wrong. And then that's all you're thinking about. And then the film loses legitimacy for you. Yeah. So you're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. We have a thing and- where you can, I mean, I don't know if you, you might agree, you might not, but we have a thing where we think if the movie is a bad piece of film, that stuff always rankles a hell of a lot more. But if the movie is a genuinely good piece of film, then we can let it slide a oh, wrong yeah. jacket or a wrong boot or something like that. But I think these things for, for me and Matt, at least they only really boil to the surface when the film is just an, un- an un- unenjoyable watching yeah. experience. Yeah. That makes sense. I mean, I've, doesn't it? it does. Yeah. I mean, and I've learned from my mistakes as well. I've made some cata- cataclysmic errors that I see now. I think, Oh my God, what was I thinking? And uh, even the films that you mentioned that, that I did some time ago, I, there's errors in there historically, which I mm. today, you know, it pains me because I could have done the extra work and found the right weapon or found the right, you know, I should have done things differently. So that's, it happens, which again, makes you learn moving forward to growth, be, a, yeah. be an extra yeah. stickler. And it's growth. We all learn, right? Of but uh, the film that I recently embarked on, which was a World War One piece, uh, again, I'm ticking off all the wars I've done in <laughs> World War II. <laughs> um, uh, I had a I had an advisor with us and, and a, I had a historical advisor and technical advisor. So um, if you can get them, like you can, you know, why sure. why wouldn't you? Yeah, you mentioned t- ticking off every conflict there. I mean, what <laughs> <laughs> what would you, um, if you could, if you could choose any conflict or any uh, any war to set a story within, what would you choose? That's a very good question. Um, I would choose something that hasn't been done a great deal. Obviously, there's a wealth of there's a wealth of World War Two because World War Two uh, was a war of hatred, ideological hatred, uh, as was Vietnam. World War One wasn't a war of hatred, which why it hasn't been explored as much. You know, mm. it was you know uh, it is you know um, Archduke Franz Ferdinand you know assassinated right. We we we're your mm. friends. We're their friends. And you try and explain to someone that was there why they were there. I'm sure they wouldn't be able to tell you, you know. Um, sure. So it, dramatically, it offers very something very different in comparison to what World War Two or Vietnam does. But a film that I'd like to explore that hasn't been done a great deal. So it's, it's a good question. Um, I mean, the Boer War is, is an interesting one. You don't see many of those. Really. No, no, um, not really. You don't see a lot of the Falklands. You don't see a lot no. of Korea. Um, so yeah, it could be interesting. And obviously, they've done a great deal of you know the Cold War and espionage, which is obviously the war with no bullets. But um, mm. yeah, uh, probably the Boer War. And I, I like, I like, I love the idea of doing something about a war I, I don't know anything about, and then offering new understandings and perspectives through the research and then finding a way to do it. I'd love to do something about Napoleon. I'd love to do something about the Napoleonic War when it was going badly. I'd love to do like a downfall, but with Napoleon. <laughs> that would that be, would be something. 
Yeah. You oh, know, Napoleon, really interesting. Yeah. Napoleon on the latrine for three days and people knocking on the latrine saying, look, man, we're, you know, we've got to sort some stuff out. And the kind of delusionment which comes with failure and ego and uh, the, the narcissism and the, mm. the understanding of how that could slip away and what that means for someone. That's something I'd love to do. But 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 all of the great, in my opinion, all the great war films. We can we can dwell on this a little later. All the great war films, I think, has war as the background, and and okay. the main core of the story is about the characters and and how they respond to their situations. All of the greatest yeah. films about the genre deal with that. The war's normally in the background, and you hear it, and obviously you, we have sequences where we're through it. But it's about the characters, and it's about what their understanding is, and what's their understanding about who they are. They're the best stories. What do you think about the future? Because we talk about this on the podcast a lot. Um, where do you think the genre is going in in, in terms of cinema and things? Because I, I personally feel that, I'm say again, the listeners will be sick of hearing it, but I feel that it's becoming more of an event piece. So we get a mm-hmm. 1917, we wait a few years, we've just had a Dunkirk, now we've just had All Quiet on the Western Front. I feel like they're just becoming you get one every two or three years. It's a massive budgeted piece. Where do you think the genre's going? Well, there's two ways you can take it. I mean, as you said, you go, we want to get people in the cinema. We want to get people seeing a film on a big screen. I mean, don't get me wrong. The great thing about a film like a war film is that it's very, visually, it's very grandiose. So you can put it on a big screen. And I saw All Quiet on the Western Front in a theatre. And I saw it in Santa Monica at the Bay Theatre. Uh, in Los Angeles and and don't get me wrong it's impressive when you're there for over two hours and you come out of it speechless because you feel so drained of what you're seeing it's a feeling you get and you can only get it on a big screen but um, I think if you have a combination of something that's very very intimate and something that's very grandiose something like um, Paths of Glory which is probably one probably my favorite war film which has a really great combination of um, personal moral confliction and then the grandiose war. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Um, But again, it's all about how you present it. I think as of now, you're going to get far more. I think the reason we're seeing them is because of what's happening in our world. And I think from what's happened this year, we're going to get more... uh, more personal films, I think, more personal films about what war does to people who don't choose war, right? And the mm. people that suffer in war are civilians and our people, right? Um, so where's the genre going to go? We may hark back to wars of the past and draw parallels to what's happening now, which is, I think, why they're being made. 
but where do I think the genre is going to go? I mean, you could, I thought, honestly, I thought some time ago that, oh, you would go more towards chemical war and nuclear war and, and you'd explore that, you know, like your war games or, your, you know, but yeah. I think now we're, I think what they're going to do is they're going to take um, events from our past and, and find a way to relate them to what's happening now. To, again, state the obvious, which is we haven't learned and a reminder that nothing good comes from war. It's futile. Hello there, sorry to interrupt. I wanted to let you know that you can now join our supporting cast over on Patreon. As thanks for your support, you'll be able to help us pick films, submit questions for guests, have first pick on brand new and exclusive merch, and much more. Thank you for your support. Now back to the show. So, uh, as always, we ask our Patreons um, to uh, submit their questions for our guests. So we have a few for you today, Toby. So, Thomas McCall asks... What classic war film inspires Toby with his work? And does he have a favourite war movie or particular scene that he thinks is perfect? Oh, wow. That's a great question. Again, I love the films. I love anti-war because it's truthful and honest. Again, my favourite film about war, probably Pass of Glory, Stanley Kubrick. Mm. And my favourite scene in that film, or a scene that I think is fantastic in any film that's done really well i think a, a scene that's done really well is in a, the original all quiet on the western front from 1930 which i know is, is an american production about a german story but, but still like you can forgive them for that uh there's a really wonderful scene in that film at the end right at the end spoilers it came out in 1930 so sorry guys <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh there's a moment in the film where he goes back to the front and he finds this butterfly and this small element of beauty we're reminded the reason that scene is so effective is we're reminded of the beauty of our world and it's the last point of the film to take her to take away from the film which is why like yeah. why mm. why do we need to do this and you yeah. get that in a butterfly and the reason and i i i love the symbol of a butterfly i actually I've paid homage to it in a, in a recent film that I'm working on because people haven't seen it in nearly a hundred years. So I thought it would be worth, <laughs> I'm using it in a different context. I'm yeah, using it in a course. different context. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but uh, I think that scene has been done so well and so perfectly. It summarized everything you need to it just in an image. Mm. It's a very powerful So that would be sequence. my favorite. Yeah. That's really interesting is. actually, because of course in the book, the butterfly isn't there. Um, yeah. So that's an adaptation by the filmmaker. So jumping off of Thomas's question, if there was a, a work of fiction that you could adapt in a similar way to All Quiet on the Western Front, what would you choose? That's a great that's question. That's a hard I'll question, you, I know. No, I'll, tell you, I'll tell you exactly what I'd do. There's a book written by a fellow called Robert Graves, and it's called Goodbye to All That. Right. And if you haven't read this book, I imagine I you have to read it. I was in EPA doing research for this upcoming project mm -hmm. I've been working on. And I had a tour of the graveyard of the uh, war battlefields and of the cemeteries there. And I was recommended by the tour guide to read this book because it's all about a man in the First World War. And it's written at a time where people didn't talk. Mm-hmm about their horrors and about the experiences. 
and the way it's written it's it's written in a very contemporary way so it's very it was written in the 1916 17 but it was it, it reads as a contemporary book but it really channels the horrors of what it means to be there i would have loved to adapt that or find a way to take robert graves account and channel it into a piece of work because it's it's really quite something i mean i I read that book when it was very in the summer this summer and I got goosebumps in mm. in the in the heat wave so it just goes to show what that book can do and the power of that material I haven't read that I'll have to look it up yeah we always say there's just a there's a plethora of untapped well um, military fiction and uh fiction based on people's actual experiences it just hasn't been adapted yet and, and it's criminal that some of these books haven't been optioned or if they have been optioned, they're just being sat on, so no one get, no yeah. one else can make them by you know greedy studios. Um, but yeah, that's a that's a topic for another day. So moving on, um, Andrew C G asks, do you make short film short films because that is what you can currently afford, or is it the format that allows you to say um, what you want to say? And if you were not constrained by we did this earlier, but if you were not constrained by a budget, would you make bigger slash longer movies? Okay. Uh, if money was no object, yeah, I mean, obviously, you'd find a way to tell something that was very truthful from a design standpoint. But again, obviously, you have more options with more budget in terms of what you can do. I mean, my, I can't think of a film as visually impressive as the 1965 War and Peace, which is seven hours long, which you should definitely watch. Uh, it's phenomenal. But in terms of yeah, yeah, it's phenomenal. But finding a way to tell a story, I mean, what I tend to do, which is why it's pretty, it is, it is difficult when to tell a story about war on a budget. But if you, get your, if you get your wardrobe right and you get your props right, location you can kind of accommodate. You can, in terms of the lenses you choose and, and how you choose to shoot it. There's always a way to do it. So get your costumes right, get your wardrobe right and get your mm. props right. And get a makeup artist so these guys actually have dirt in their fingernails, right? and uh have brown teeth okay that's really important i'm I'm sick and tired of seeing uh you know films where the 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 uniform is nicely pressed when they're on the field or uh yeah uh come on guys uh (laughs) there's no excuse but you can find a way don't get me wrong as a filmmaker the idea of having more money is a is a wonderful thing, but at the same time, more money is more problems, and I feel like it does restrict creativity. I'm sh- pretty sure if I'm pretty sure if Spielberg had unlimited funds for Jaws, you would see more of the shark, and the film wouldn't be as good. Uh, I think I, I think there's a way which it forces you to become creative. How can I tell something this way? Oh, I can tell it in silhouette, or I can find a creative cut to convey the death of a character rather than getting a real hangman's noose. I can convey it through the context of a cut. But again, I think it forces you to think more creatively, but um, yeah, there's two sides of that argument. There's the more money, more problems argument. And then there's the, well, let's work what we have and let's be um, intuitive with what we have. Mm. So what kind of budgets are you, if you don't mind sharing, what kind of budgets are you actually working with when you make something like just on, if there's an average, I don't know. Well, it really depends. It depends where you are. It depends like if you're filming in America to compare to filming in Britain, it's obviously different. It's also different if you're filming in London, if you're filming up north. Um, there's lots of variables in terms of, you know, are we buying our own 
wardrobe? Are we renting our own wardrobe? Are we, you know, there's there's lots of variables. I mean, it's it's you know, it's five figures for sure, right? But I the dust child was made for you know little to no money. Example because we we only had seven hours to film it because that's all we could afford. We had to get a um a, a, a Malibu Creek uh, kind of officer with us. Malibu Creek State Park, if, for people that don't know, is where we filmed the Dust Child, which is where we wanted how we kind of created it to look like Vietnam, which I think it sells pretty well. Uh, but uh, we could only afford the warden for seven hours, so that's all we had to film. But uh, there's always ways you can get away with it. And uh, there's always a way. Mm. Yeah, and, and you're right. I think the, the whole thing about money being limiting, but also being freeing is, is really interesting. Um, but other people we've talked to who have had the same experience, yeah. Oh, yeah, always, always. But you get given the, the budget sheet, and you think, my God, that's great. That's, oh, we can do anything. And then it just it just evaporates. You know, after you've kind of covered the necessities of film production, like insurance and food and, and accommodation and, and wardrobe, it just goes. I think I think I'd want to see if you can find a way to tell a very uh, personal, again, I think that's one of the reasons maybe why I've kind of gone to the direction of making more personal work and more intimate work about character is because that doesn't cost yeah, money. Yeah. <laughs> it costs money to get the reenactment guys to come in and do a Napoleonic war with cannons and horses. That costs money, right? Um, but to, to do something that's the characters have either come from somewhere or are going to somewhere, which is kind of where all of my work thus far has kind of been from. It's either the aftermath or they're going somewhere, which is quite nice. So we're this little window into this world. But um, the great thing, money's a blessing and a curse. And I think if you can use it to your advantage and get creative with what you have, there's no limitations. There's no limitations. Outside of money, I mean, what are the biggest challenges to filmmaking for an independent filmmaker? Money's definitely the biggest one. I think people have forgotten how to tell stories. I do. I think uh, that's the biggest challenge. The biggest challenge is to find a story worth telling and to find a way creatively, creatively interesting and honest and truthful in a way that it hasn't been done before. I do believe that. I believe a lot of the films I see are just a, a collection of scenes strung together and there's no golden thread there's no kind of thematic understanding of why the film has been made i always like to ask people not not out of a i just you know i like to ask why why did you make that and and if they can't answer me then i you know do you know what i mean i, I think it's very important that there's a reason behind why you're deciding to make the film and everything should uh relate to that one idea every every scene should relate to that that theme of, of what you're trying to say with the work. And don't get me wrong, an audience may have different understanding of what the work means. That's absolutely fine. Everyone's right, okay? But um, I love the idea of go, when going in, you know exactly why you're telling the story. Mm. And then make it, ensuring it is a story. There's an element of growth. Someone wants something. Something is standing in their way in order to get it, and they have to overcome that in order to get that. That's that's just that's you know Greek storytelling. I do think I do believe that people have forgotten what that is. They get very excited about the prospect of going somewhere and filming something rather than beforehand maybe understanding of why we're doing that and how can we do it, which makes it honest and truthful. That's, I think, is the biggest, um, because everyone can make a film these days. I feel like a lot of people don't think about, well, if this is going to be immortalized forever. Let's make it count. Let's actually think. 
and I think that's the biggest uh, challenge that people are they very they kind of dive into it without thinking about why. Uh, so yeah, that's the, that's yeah, that's for me. But also in terms of getting people together, and it's a miracle that any film gets made. Honestly, it really is because it's so many things. The stars have to align. You have to get people together. You have to get actors who are willing to do it for little mm. to nothing, who have belief in the material. And you have to work with a great collaborative crew that get exactly what you're trying to, trying to convey. It's very important that you find a crew that can work with you and that gets what we're trying to say. So we're all making the same movie. I think the re- some of the reasons that f- some films fall short is that someone has a lack of understanding either from the technical side of things or from the creative side of things of mm. what the story is trying to achieve. So then you've got a guy shooting it yeah, sure. in an interesting way that doesn't align with what you want to say or an actor makes a choice that is totally inappropriate to where you're trying to go. So it's very important to ensure that everyone, casting your crew is like casting your actors, okay? It is. Do you have an understanding visually of what we're trying to do and creatively what we're trying to achieve? So getting everyone who's singing, singing from the same industry is also another challenge because, again, people get very excited about making films rather than, understanding what we're trying to achieve and when our last question comes from andrew again um he asks do you prefer writing the story or bringing a story to life through the directing i love both i love to interpret someone else's material and find a way to make it right for me i think always when a director gets another script they always do a pass themselves they always do even if they don't tell the writer or the producers they always do a pass themselves because they have to make it their own and they have to find themselves in the material they've got to make it very personal i think in order to make something truthful and honest so i haven't done a lot of that i'd like to do more of it where i get to direct other people's work for an independent and this kind of relates to the other question of the difficulties of independent filmmaking. If you want to be a director, write. You've got to be able to write. And you've got to read screenplays and find a way. The most challenging thing, I believe, in the creative process is to convey emotion on paper. And then finding a way then mm. to take that and visualize it into something that's meaningful. But you have to be able to write. I never used to like writing. Now I adore it. Yeah. It's a beautiful thing because you can direct on the page and not spend any money. It's great uh so it's it's but you have to love it like I wake up every morning and I write like I just have to do it so as of right now a lot of my opportunities that I've created are through writing my own work and then getting it in the hands of people that can then find a way to finance the picture and and get it made so uh if you have a story that you really want to tell you should probably write it down okay and then I'm sure you'll be able to find a way to make it work like for example the film called Kamara that I'm in post-production of the World War One piece. I wrote that during the lockdown. You know, I, I, I heard a story and I thought this has to be made and I, I crafted it and um, that's how it was made. But uh, I do like to write and I do like to adapt other people's writing. So both. So Toby, what can you tell us about what you're working on at the moment or what's coming up? So the film that I'm currently working on that's in post-production is set during the First World War. I can't really tell you a lot about it because it will give it away. And okay. it's only a 10-minute film, so it's within the confines of, of a specific amount of time. But it's the, re- the reason I wanted to make it is because of what's happening in our world right now. And uh, despite writing it before the most recent war in our, world, in our times has happened, made me more made me more justified to tell it. And I think it, the timing is perfect 
because again it reminds people of the futility of war but it's done in a very interesting way it's not done through violence like in the dust child it's not done through the horrors Mm -hmm. of war it's done based on the notion that we know what happens in our future and that we won't learn and i think i've never really told a story before that enables the audience to bring a great deal to the table this one does this one allows you to kind of be an active participant in in the viewing of the film it's very i like my subtlety and I, and with this one it's very subtle i think the audience will have lots of different interpretations of of what's happening and why it's happening but it's a short film but i'm pretty sure i hopefully my goal is for the audience to think about it after it's over for at least an hour so it's technically a feature it's technically a feature film. <laughs> <laughs> the audience are thinking about what would i do if i was there what does this mean how could this have been prevented could it be prevented and there's all these questions and my job is to ask questions my job isn't to answer them and i, I hopefully people will be arguing in the car on the way home or arguing on the way to the fridge of what that means and that's my goal as a filmmaker i always i always love the idea of um uh, creating a conversation creating a discussion over a piece of work and i think it allows us as humans to kind of look at ourselves in a different way that all great work i think constitutes that which is we look at ourselves differently as a result of being exposed to it so that's always been my goal as a filmmaker otherwise what's the point <laughs> yeah when when's that when's the release date for that one i believe the release date will be early next year january next year um we're very close, very close. It's obviously it's a process making a film. There's so many different departments. And there's so many different things juggling. And uh, we, I did all the editorial in post production. Um, all the post production essentially was done in the states. So I've just come back from there. And we were doing the, the 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 mix is being done now, and the 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 music is. I work with the composer out there and the editor out there. So I don't know. Getting away, I think, from the heart of where you film the film, I think it is a really nice thing. And to work with people that had nothing to do with the production because they offer new perspectives and new ideas on how to add value to it is a, is a wonderful thing. Um, I have edited before, but working with an editor is is a wonderful thing because you give them your footage and they, obviously they go on the script, but they they go of what you have. You know, you you write and, and shoot and edit three different movies. And at the end of the day, the only one people are going to see is the, the one that's being pieced together. So working with someone that had no understanding of, of obviously have understanding, but no relation to what happened on the day or days. They can offer very new perspectives, which is a fantastic thing. So it's been a really great process. But um, yeah, I look forward to sharing it with everyone. Yeah, and no, we look forward to seeing it. I, I've seen some of the the production stills. It looks it looks like it's going to be quite something. So thanks, Toby, for joining us. It's been such an insight into your world and your work. Um, and if you haven't seen any of Toby's films, they are on his YouTube channel. So please do go and find them. We'll be sharing them on our on our socials as well so our listeners can, can get a, a view. Um, and thank you for joining us. It's been fantastic, Toby. Thank you. And as always, you can follow the podcast um, on Twitter facebook tiktok on everything we're not on only fans just yet but you know you never know the way twitter's going we might have to but you can catch the uh, the podcast from episode one over at fightingonfilm.com and if you have a froth binge do let us know and we'll catch you next week everyone thanks for listening bye guys bye bye
Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.